As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining me tonight on another edition of Spanning the Need. Tonight, we're going to talk about weather, news, and just life in general. And tonight, I have Eric Wilhelm, meteorologist for WFMJ. Eric, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me tonight. Good evening. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, anytime. And, and, and don't worry, everyone will want to know what the temperature is going to be for the winter. <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit about that here shortly. Well, Eric, why don't you, and Pete, you've been in the news and, and been in FMJ. Talk about kind of how you got there. Kind of, kind of talk about your career and how you got to FMJ so people kind of get to know you. Sure. Well, I've been at WFMJ now for eight years and about a month. So I came in in the fall of 2012. Prior to that, I spent the first 11 years of my career at a company called AccuWeather, which is over in the middle of Pennsylvania uh, near Penn State University. Um, it's kind of a private firm. Its main competitor, if you will, is the Weather Channel. Um, but most of what I did at AccuWeather was actually not on camera. Most of what I did was almost kind of in this format, almost a radio format. Um, so I did that for 11 years, and I'm originally from Ohio, so I, I wanted to try to get back a little bit closer to home. Prior to starting my career, I graduated from uh, the Ohio State University in uh, 2001. Add, add that in there. Add, of add course. that in there. We, we have to do it. We can't, we can't resist. Uh, oh, yeah. OHIO, that's right. Uh, so 2001, I graduated, and to get a degree in meteorology in the state of Ohio, you either have to go to Ohio State or Ohio University down in Athens. Um, back when I was at Ohio State, Ohio State was the only school in Ohio offering a four-year bachelor degree program in meteorology. So you can't just go anywhere for this uh, degree. You can take weather classes some places, such as at uh, Youngstown State and Kent State, but to, to get a degree, there's not that many places you can actually uh, go to. So I went to Ohio State and then AccuWeather. And now eight years and counting, here I am at uh, 21 News WFMJ. Well, and, and let's talk about that is what kind of, how has that change from AccuWeather, which like you said, is, is a pretty big organization to on TV meteorologists? How, how did that kind of about and, and did you, was it an easy change? It was a pretty easy change going on camera in a full-time basis, even though that was not my main gig at AccuWeather. Stepping in front of the camera after 11 years of not only forecasting the weather, but also broadcasting the weather, just kind of more behind the scenes, uh, speaking into a microphone rather than in front of a camera, that taught me really well how to ad-lib and just talk about the weather for minutes at a time without stammering and stuttering and and, and that sort of thing. And without that experience initially, 
uh, mostly in radio, TV probably would have been a little bit harder. Now, I, I did do some on-camera work at AccuWeather, uh, and, and I was even on some national news programs briefly um, back in the day. But my main gig was showing up in jeans and a t-shirt and broadcasting forecasts on radio stations all over the country. So I would be on in New York City one minute, then I'd flip a switch and I'd be on in Houston, Texas or Los Angeles or something like that. So it was kind of an interesting change also from a, a geographical standpoint. Now I can just focus on one area, which is great. At AccuWeather, I had to be in touch with the weather across the country. I had to be in touch with geographic details that are specific to certain markets. I can I could tell you the name of streets in Houston, Texas, even though I've never been there, uh, and things like that. Whereas here, I can really hone in on our five-county area and really get to know it really, really well. Uh, just to follow up on that, did you ever get the, get the uh, weather wrong? Well, that you were giving the weather in New York when it was supposed to be in Arizona on it accident. Happened, it happened one time and it, it was actually pretty late in my 11 years at AccuWeather. I think it took me 10 years to do it. But one morning I worked, I worked the morning shift, which meant I was getting up at two in the morning. And one morning I wasn't quite awake enough yet. And I'm on the radio in Detroit. And the station I went to after Detroit was New York city. Well, I got a little ahead of myself and in Detroit, I gave the forecast correctly, but then when I signed out, I said, you know, I'm Eric Wilhelm on 1010 Winds, which is the New York City radio station. <laughs> and so that was, a, that was an oops, and I certainly was not the first, nor I was the last to do that, but it did take me a while to finally make that mistake, uh, bleary-eyed, probably at 4.30 in the morning on a Sunday morning. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, you're getting up at probably 2 o'clock, you have to be in the office by 3.34, just as your counterparts have to do in the morning show, WFMJ Today. Mm -hmm. That's right. I, I don't miss that shift at all. Uh, I did it for a long time, and you never know when to eat. You never know when to sleep. No one knows when you're sleeping. No one. Everybody's afraid to call you because you might be sleeping. Um, my, my current hours, I, I, of course, work evenings, and those aren't great. It's not like I'm working 9 to 5, um, but it's a lot pref more preferable to getting up at 2 in the morning, that's for sure. Well, and I, I think anything would to a point. Yes. And you just got to be, you just got to be that person that does that correctly. Well, and let's talk about that. Like we talked, you've been with FMJ for about eight years, and now we go from we go into January, we go into February. Now we're into March with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Has has the pandemic changed the way you've kind of gave the gave the weather at all? In any On since since without the pandemic. On television, not really. The behind-the-scenes stuff has changed. I do a lot more work from home now. Um, I can remotely log into our weather computers at the office and do pretty much all of my job from home, with the exception of being in front of a green screen on TV. And actually, there are some TV meteorologists across the country who are doing that. They've set up a home studio with the green screen and everything, and they've got a real nice setup. Um, that's not really all that feasible for me, so I still go in to the office but for a much shorter period of time than I did before March. Uh, and so from my home office here, I can do just about everything except be on TV. So then you can get up at, oh, 7.30 and walk down to your office at 7.45 <laughs> with your cup of coffee. Exactly, exactly. It's not a problem. Well, and I, I think that's kind of, in, in talking with past people in the news industry, that everything has kind of changed with the pandemic. And People know that how news has changed because you can't really interview people in studios anymore. You can't mm -hmm. really do much of anything. So 
has the has and, and we know technology has really changed the way we we do stuff, especially in the weather business. It really and has. Kind of talk about kind of when you started to like, hey, this is where we are today on how technology has helped us the awareness of weather. It's it's incredible how much has changed. And, you know, I've, I've been a meteorologist now for 19 years. You know, a lot of people have been doing this a lot longer than me, but I've been doing it for long enough now that I've been able to see some pretty enormous changes. When I was an intern in college 20 years ago, uh, the Ooh, one of the... remind me. Yeah. I would, that's <laughs> about my... When I was in college, yeah. Yeah. And, and back then, you, you, know, you don't think of 2000 as like the dark ages. But in no. some respects, in some respects, it was. I, when I was an intern, I had to render a, a, a computer model graphic for the TV meteorologist I was working with. Now, that same basic kind of graphic I do instantaneously. But 20 years ago, I had to click and start the rendering process on that an hour before the newscast because it took 45 minutes for that thing to, to ingest the data and to animate and look pretty for TV. Now it's instantaneous. Um, so the, the graphical element of things has changed enormously. The graphics just, of course, look a lot better than they did 20 years ago. We can do a lot more things than we could 20 years ago. Everything looks very... You go back and look at some news footage of newscasts from 15, 20 years ago, and it looks like the 80s, really. It, it really looks like forever ago, and you, and you think about it, it wasn't that long ago. When it comes to forecasting the weather, um, there's been technological leaps and bounds with that as well. We now have these very high resolution satellites orbiting the globe that produce images every minute that are really super high res. And, and you know, just like, you know, our camera phones have gotten much better. Those satellite pictures, the resolution has gotten enormously better. They, it can tell us a lot more things. Uh, radar technology has really evolved. The and it's kind of manifested itself in, especially like in severe weather situations. We're able to warn the public now of severe weather and even isolated tornadoes a lot faster than we could 20 years ago, partly because of that advance in radar technology. We can see a lot more stuff instantaneously now compared to when I first started. Well, and let's talk a little bit about that. And what people may not understand is when you have severe, even a tornado, and you know that tornadoes have been hitting Akron area, Cleveland area, and they're coming down. You guys, you guys are now staying on online more now. Like you're, there's no, there's no uh, timeout, or I should say, there's no <laughs> rest. You're no matter if it's two o'clock in the morning. Am I correct sure. on that? Talk a little bit about how that, how that works, and people may not understand. Like, hey, when there's something going on, you guys have to be there. So it's almost like you're on call 24 hours a day, not just your normal shift. It really is. Uh, weather's a 24-7 business. And thankfully, thanks to a lot of the advances in, in forecasting prowess and technology, we usually know when we need to really be aware of what's might be coming. So very rarely does severe weather catch us by surprise. So if we have a situation where it looks like there might be storms at 1.30 in the morning, a time of the day when usually no one's there, then we'll plan accordingly. Um, it's not often that we're just totally surprised by that. So um, but of course, around here and in, in most places, severe weather is the most common in the afternoon and early evening. Um, and so that's a more humane time of day when uh, we can staff up much more easily. And when it comes to covering severe weather, um, that's one thing that hasn't changed that much on the television side in a long time. If there's a tornado warning, we're on TV. And that was the case 20 years ago. That was the case 25 years ago. What's changed, of course, is the Internet. And now um, not only do we need to be on TV, 
but we need to be on Facebook. We need to be on the website. We need to be on the app. Uh, we need to have so social media covered. We have to keep a lot of plates in the air all at one time, and it can be a big, big challenge. It's I, I kind of think it's a lot of fun, but it can be a big, big challenge to make sure you're serving all the venues in which you're expected to be on if the weather's really impactful. Well, and let's take example, the tornado. I, I think they called it a tornado up by the airport, maybe early, I'd say maybe a year ago. I, I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, I, in Cortland area, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Yep. And talk a little bit about, hey, you you didn't, did you know it was coming? And just kind of talk about like what steps you guys take. Because I, I think people think that sometimes meteorologists are like, I'm just going to go on the computer and I'm going <laughs> to make some nice graphics. And I have all this tech. And I think people do. And I yep. really do talking. Talk a little bit about that and kind of like, hey, no, this isn't this isn't kind of a little bit more entailed than that. It's a lot more. And, you know, it's just one of those cliches when it comes to, to meteorologists and weather on TV. These cliches date back to the 50s and they haven't changed that much. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I've heard every joke and cliche in the book. And, uh, you know, everything from you guys are just guessers and throwing darts at a dartboard and Boy, I wish I could I could get paid and be wrong half the time and you know all that stuff. Uh, when it comes to uh, severe weather, <laughs> yeah. When it comes to severe weather, um, we look at a lot of things and it, and it ranges from what's going on right now. Look at the satellite, look at the radar, analyze the current situation, and then we look forward with the help of some computer modeling. And just like I, I was talking about, the satellites being a lot higher res and that sort of. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Thing. Uh, computer models are also much higher res and much more detailed than they used to be. All computer models are wrong. None are exactly right, but some are useful. And so we, we try to discern which ones are most useful and which ones have the best handle on the current situation. And when it comes to predicting where exactly a tornado is going to drop, that's impossible at this point. Even in 2020, we can't do that with more than five or 10 minutes lead time. But we can we can tell what kind of environment might be uh, conducive or or favorable for tornadic activity even days ahead of time. It's just pinpointing exactly where a tornado might decide to form and where it might then lift back into the cloud. That's technology that might be fifty years away at this point. Well, and and we talked about that, and, and there there was one funny thing I I read about you is that they call you the weather geek. <laughs> Uh, talk a little bit, uh, explain that. When I came to WFMJ in, in 2012, uh, one thing I was a little bit frustrated by with my new job was I could not 
I didn't have enough time on TV to really say everything I wanted to say. And I am a weather geek. I, if there's one subject on the earth that I can talk for 20 minutes about without a problem, it's the weather. Um, weather's different every single day. There's always challenges and interesting things to find. Even if we have a sunny seven day stretch of weather, I'm gonna find something in interesting to talk about. Um, on TV, I'm limited to two and a half, three minutes. And I've got a lot more to say than that. So early on, I, I started posting online long form videos. Uh, on YouTube, on Facebook, that sort of thing, in which I had no time limit whatsoever. I could geek out and show some stuff that I'd never show on TV. And we we titled it Weather for Weather Geeks. Um, and I've been doing those videos ever since. That was in early 2013, so almost eight years now of, of, of that video. Sometimes these videos are 10, 12 minutes long. Um, sometimes when the weather's quiet, it's four or five minutes, but it's still longer than my, my hits on TV. And I've been really amazed and appreciative of just what kind of an audience those videos get and how many how many geeks there are out there. There are a lot of people out there who are kind of weather nerds. Uh, they didn't go to school for this, but they're the kind of people that have a rain gauge in their backyard. And they're the kind of people that go out with the ruler and measure the snowfall and, and tell me all about it um, and that sort of thing. There's a lot of people out there that are like that. And those people really, I think, appreciate uh, the detail in those videos. And there's a lot of people whose livelihood depends on weather and in a three minute weather cast that's aimed towards just a general audience on TV, they might not get the kind of detail that they need to make decisions for their business. Maybe they're a school administrator, maybe they're a, uh, maybe they, they plow people's driveways for, in the winter for a living. And so that video also is geared towards those kinds of people who just need more stuff. They need more details. Um, and so we called that weather for weather geeks and, uh, I'm proud to call myself a weather geek. That is uh, for sure. I I, uh, I have no problem calling myself that. <laughs> is this something you wanted to do when you were younger? I got or the did bug. Kind of just happen. I got the bug pretty young, probably about seven or eight years old. Um, most meteorologists, if you ask them what got you into the weather, most meteorologists can point to a weather event. When I, you know, they'll say when I was a kid we had this huge blizzard or a tornado hit my town or something like that. Um, for me, it wasn't really one event. I kind of had a boring childhood weather-wise. I never saw a tornado. I never really had a blizzard um, and that sort of thing. I got into the weather partly because in the mid-80s, the Weather Channel was coming along. And when my cable system got the Weather Channel, I was like, a whole channel for the weather? Let me check this out. I thought that was really something. I really loved, back when people read newspapers, I really loved the USA Today. Most news newspapers back then were black and white. Back then, USA Today was the most colorful paper and the weather page on the back of the USA Today was just really colorful with cool maps. And I always I remember that. At that. I yeah, remember I, that. I got a kick out of looking at that. And so between that and the Weather Channel, that just sort of stirred my interest. And then once I got into high school and started thinking maybe I, I might want to do this, um, when I went to my guidance counselor's office in my little small town, you know, high school uh, and told him, I want to be a meteorologist. They didn't know what to do with me. They didn't. They never had anybody come to them and say that. So they had to really do some research on where where does this kid go to school? What's he? How do we how do we guide this kid in the right direction? Um, because uh, it's a, it's kind of an unusual major. That's for sure. Well, and you see, and you see a lot. And we were you're talking about the little quirky things people say, like hey, you're, if I was wrong as much as you, I'd be getting paid and, mm. and everything like that. It, it, it's a fun thing because I remember back 20 years ago watching people, that's not the weather. I wish I could be wrong in my <laughs> job. I mean, just, you know, the quirkiness of it. Sure. 
And, and weather and weather is a fickle business. We're we're very accurate, and we we for the most part are going to get it right most days. But there's going to be days that that the the atmosphere has a few curveball curveballs for us. And when you're watching your local TV presenter on TV, even if in some bigger markets, even in your Chicago's and New York cities of the world, there's going to be a range in skill level of the person that's presenting the weather to you, ranging from a chief meteorologist who's been doing this 50 years to maybe a more recent college graduate. And even in some cases, they might not even have a degree in meteorology. There's some very skilled weather presenters out there who did not go to school for this. They kind of stumbled into it, if you will, uh, during their career. They might have pinched hit for uh, a meteorologist one evening when they were shorthanded and thought, well, I'm pretty good at this. I, I kind of like this. And they ended up doing weather full time. And so you have a big range and just like in a lot of professions, you have a big range in expertise and skill level. And uh, so sometimes people's opinions of all TV weather presenters are formed by maybe the person they saw on a weekend who was brand new at this. You know, it happens. Yeah. And, and we totally understand that. Well, you, you've been here at FMJ for quite a while. What has probably been the biggest uh, impact in regards to weather that you've seen in this in Northeast Ohio or the Mahoning Valley in that time? You know, it's, I, I've liked to say that the weather since I've been here has actually been, for the most part, kind of boring. We haven't had an enormous, like, you're going to remember this for the rest of your life, snowstorm since I've been here. We haven't had... Uh, a a flood situation that is crazy impactful that is going to go down in the record books for our region. We've had our snowstorms, we've had our flooding, we've had our tornadoes, um, but we haven't had a 1985 Niles tornado, the F5. We I haven't remember had something, that. Yeah, that's kind of the benchmark tornado for our region. Everybody knows about that. Everybody knows about the blizzard of 78. This is actually the, the this week is the 70th anniversary of the famous 1950 snowstorm that is the biggest snowstorm on record for our region. It occurred in November. Um, uh, that week occurred of around Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Week of Thanksgiving in 1950. They played the Ohio State-Michigan uh, game during during that blizzard. It's kind of a famous game down in Columbus. Um, we, we haven't had one. events. Yes, indeed. Low-scoring affair. Uh, we haven't had those kind of benchmark events in my eight years here. They'll come, no doubt. But I've had a run of, I don't know if it's luck or what, but I've had a run of pretty quiet weather in the grand scheme of things um, since I've been here. We've had only two cold winters since I've been here, and it's been five years since it's happened. We had a cold winter in 2013, 14, and 14 into 15. Ever since then, we've had pretty ho-hum winters. Um, and the severe weather around here, while, we've, of course, we've had some, we've had our tornadoes, it's been run-of-the-mill stuff for the most part. Well, and, and let's talk about that. You, you, you briefly talked about um, – kind of the news and what kind of you, your expectations have been and, and that. What are some of the key fun things around the studio that people really haven't seen that have been just fun things that maybe people don't know about behind the scenes? People always, whenever they tour the studio, um, back back before COVID, when, when some people might come in uh, and, and want to see the studio, uh, people always remark how small it is. On TV, we use a lot of different camera angles and you'll see the anchors at different what we call venues throughout the studio but then you walk into the space and it's actually a pretty small room um, pe people always get a kick out of the green wall that uh, the weather people stand in front of um, you know you see me stand if you watch me on tv you stand me or you see me standing in front of these fancy weather graphics well that's not actually behind me what's behind me is just a blank green wall 
I have monitors on both sides and a little monitor under the camera that I can sneak a peek at. Um, but otherwise, uh, it's a little bit of TV magic. And so we have to get good at turning and gesturing where we want to gesture when what we're gesturing at is not actually on the wall behind us. So I can't, you know, hunt for Austin town and I can't go, Oh, Austin town, you know, here, I've got to go right here. It's raining in Austin town. Um, and people are kind of impressed and amazed by that. It, it's one of those things that once you get the hang of it early on, it's actually not that hard, but people get a kick out of that. Um, the fact that our, our cameras are robotic, um, we don't have camera people anymore. Um, that was phased out not long after I got here. And so someone is just hitting a button back in the control room and making the cameras go to a certain point in the studio. So sometimes we might be showing some people around or, or, or doing a tour and the camera will just suddenly start moving. And people are always kind of, <laughs> kind of they're kind of amazed by that. And it almost seems like the camera is chasing you sometimes. Uh, but that's just, uh, you know, that's that's life in a, a technology age in which, uh, you know, unfortunately, that used to be someone's job. And now, you know, it can be done with a couple of push, pushes of a button and some programming back in the control room. So little things like that. But one thing that is very, very common for people to say is, boy, this place looks small. I didn't realize how small it was. Is that the question that people ask you all the time? Is what's one about of the, the most? Yeah, just in general, what's kind of like you go out and you're in the community. What's probably mm -hmm. the most one question that people ask you the most? Probably just how do you figure out the weather? And that's a very complicated question. That's <laughs> it's a, a loaded question. It's a very loaded question. You know, I'll get that when I'm talking to third graders. And, you know, how do I answer that to a bunch of nine-year-olds? That, that can be a challenge. Um, but it's a combination of experience, of course, uh, knowledge, and a lot of the technology that, as we've discussed, has come a long way. Um, it's, it's a formula that isn't the same from day to day. It depends on the situation. If I've got a snowstorm coming in three days, my forecasting routine for that day is going to be different than on a sunny summer day. Um, and so I get asked that a lot, just how do you figure it out? Some people just assume that we are just taking the National Weather Service forecast and just presenting it on the air. We're not doing that. Um, we, we are forecasting the weather ourselves with no help from any other agency. Um, and so people, it's kind of a mystery to some people. How do you, how do, you do that? And it's, yeah, it's a pretty complicated answer. And, and I, I'll have to ask this, but this really wasn't on my question list is, Who's allowed to give warnings and advisories? Are you guys allowed or is it just the, the National Weather Service? The National Weather Service issues the official warnings, watches, advisories. Uh, our area is served by both the Cleveland and Pittsburgh uh, Weather Service offices. Um, so they issue those. We will react to the issuance of those in 99% of cases. Now, there'll be some cases that are rare in which I might see something before the Weather Service does. I might see a signature on the radar that looks like maybe that storm's trying to rotate. And that might prompt me to jump into action before a warning is issued by the weather service. But the, the weather service is full of very skilled and very good uh, meteorologists. And usually uh, they're going to be on top of, of things pretty fast. But so we won't 99% of the time, we won't jump on the air with some sort of weather alert until a warning is issued by, by the National Weather Service. So we don't issue those warnings and you know, we, uh, we get you know, occasional hate mail and things like that. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For interrupting people's shows. Why did you issue this warning when... It wasn't impacting my neighborhood and stuff like that, and, and we don't issue the warnings. Um, but no, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, and that's just and that's just and that calls. I get that. I get it. Yeah. People 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 get upset. Uh, people get upset when it doesn't impact their neighborhood. But but people have got to keep in mind that there might be a neighborhood half a mile away that it's getting ripped apart. Have some sympathy for those people, and maybe uh, you know missing Judge Judy is not the biggest deal in the world. You know. That's why they have DVRs. Yes. Well, and, and that's a good thing that we talk about is the weather. You you were in college 20 years ago, like I was. You've seen weather through the area, through the United States and just through North America change. Yeah. Do you and I, I I'll ask this question, but you don't have to answer it. Is is our are we really experiencing climate change? For with sure. Temperature with temperatures rising. And I mean, like you said, we've only had two cold winters in the last mm-hmm. five years. So you think so? You think that's a we're getting climate change? Absolutely, uh, it's it's a hundred percent. Just it's a fact at this point that not only is the climate changing, but that we're seeing impacts here locally. Now, our impacts because we're in Ohio and not near an ocean and not near the poles, our impacts are not going to be as extreme and obvious as a place like Miami where the sea level rise is going to be a real, real threat to humanity. Um, even New York city, places like that. But around here, um, when you look back at the weather records for us here locally, it's not just the last five or 10 years. Our winters in particular have been warming at a rapid pace in the last few decades. Now, of course, weather records go back a lot farther than the last few decades. And a lot of people will, when, when they're trying to, be a contrarian or debunk climate change and that sort of thing. They might say, well, what about, you know, the 1930s? No one was talking about climate change back then. We had the Dust Bowl and things like that. Um, That's a really easy one to debunk because while Eastern North America was hot in the 1930s, the rest of the world was not. Um, And now the whole world's on fire, basically. Um, There's almost nowhere on the earth that is cooler than it was, you know, a couple of decades ago. Um, here locally, I, I would point to winter uh, winters being milder on average. We're going to still have cold winters occasionally, but more often than not, in this warmer climate, winters are going to be more benign than they used to be. Uh, I would also point towards precipitation here locally. We, while we haven't had much snow the last couple of winters, overall precipitation—rain, snow, the whole the whole nine yards—is noticeably higher than it was a few decades ago. Um, and that manifests itself in, in more flooding events, even minor ones. Um, but you can point to those two things, uh, and that's good hard evidence that uh, things are a little different around here. That's for sure. 
Well, and let's do that. Let's predict the 2021 winner. What's yep. the what's the prediction um, for the 2021 from December to we get back to spring? Are we looking at a, a winter uh, snow? We uh, we did the official winter forecast almost a month ago now, or actually three weeks ago now, was, uh, just after the election in, in early November. And the forecast I went out with uh, will make people who don't love snow pretty happy. We're expecting a pretty benign winter again um, with below average snow, maybe more than last year. But that's not saying that much because we had so little last year. Um, but we probably will see more than last year, but still below average. And temperatures will probably be an even bigger story. It's just going to get, it's going to be hard for there to be sustained cold weather this winter. Yes, we'll have our shots where it gets cold for a few days, like we do every winter. But the kind of stuff that lasts a couple of weeks, um, like we had in winter 13, 14, 14, 15, and then, of course, back in the late 70s with some of those harsh winters, I don't see that happening uh, this winter. In fact, we could have long stretches, especially in January and February, where it's just remarkably mild outside for January and February. December might end up being our coldest month compared to the average, and I'm not expecting even that cold of a December. But out of the three kind of main winter months, December might be the coldest compared to average of all three. And I and I was young. We we didn't have cell phones or the internet mm -hmm. back when I was in when I was young, and we loved going out in the snow. And yes. Play snowball, build a snowman. That snow was there for weeks. It was in in. Our memories tend to be uh, kind of maybe clouded a little bit by what happened when we were a kid. You look back at the weather records, and for people our age, I, I, I'm deducing that uh, you're about my age. Um, you look back at the weather I'm records. I'm 40, so I'll just say that. Yeah, and I'm 42, um, so we're, we're in the neighborhood. It's the winter's winter. Exactly. We look great. Uh, <laughs> no, we both look good. I, I could do a lot worse. Uh, the winters back when we were a kid, when you look at the weather records, weren't anything to write home about, really. Um, they weren't like the winters of the mid to late 70s. Um, but that being said, when you're a kid, a few inches of snow seems like all the snow in the world. Um, and because back in the 80s, cold tended to stick around a little longer, the snow would stick around a little longer. You might go a couple weeks where it doesn't snow hardly at all, but the snow you picked up a couple weeks ago was still on the ground. I, that sort of thing, I think, happened more often in those winters 30 years ago as compared to some of our, our more recent ones. Yeah, that, that's, that's just interesting. So what do you, and I, since, since you seem to know a lot about weather, what do you think the biggest impact of climate change is? Your opinion, I'll just leave it at that. Not <laughs> when you look at uh, globally, it's, it's going to be the sea level rise probably. So places that are near coasts, uh, a pretty, pretty uh, enormous impact to lives and property uh, will probably occur in the next 70, 80, 100 years. Um, here locally, kind of like we talked about, um, our, our changes tend to be more subtle, but you can expect more and more precipitation events. The chances of any precipitation event being one that produces flooding will go up. That doesn't mean that every precipitation event will produce flooding, but the, the, the chances that any routine weather event any routine kind of rainstorm will turn severe, will go up. Um, I kind of, the analogy I like to use is if you're a baseball fan, back in the late 90s, it was the era of home runs, you know, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, those guys were hitting crazy amounts of home runs. As it turns out, they were all on steroids. Um, now, That's every time, their name. exactly. And so every time one of them came to bat, because they were on steroids, 
the chances of any swing resulting in a home run were higher. Some of those home runs would have been hit anyway. They were good players. They would have hit home runs anyway. But the chances of any single pitch going out were higher because they were on performance-enhancing drugs. It's kind of the same thing with the, with the atmosphere because, if you will, it's kind of on steroids. The chances of any what would be kind of a routine weather event kind of going up a category to becoming extreme or higher. So we can expect and more that. that makes sense. Yeah, and that makes sense. And we, we talk about that you became – at FMJ, we've talked about the weather. What what really makes it a passion for doing weather? I I'm constantly learning. Um, even you know, 19 years into this, there's a, an enormous amount of stuff I don't know yet. And so I love the process of figuring new things out. I love that the weather is different every day. I love that today is Monday. I didn't look at the weather much over the weekend, but today, in about an hour and a half, two hours. I'll put on my forecasting cap and look at a whole range of stuff that I haven't looked at in a few days. And I'm chomping at the bit to see what the models show, see what Thanksgiving is looking like and that sort of thing. Um, so every day brings about challenges. Every day is different. I love talking to people about the weather in this format. When I go out to schools, which hopefully you know next year will become a thing again, I love talking to kids. I love going to uh, community events that involve seniors and talking to that age group about my job and about the weather. Um, I, I'm very fortunate that I have a job that I don't dread going to every day. I, I, I look forward to going to work. Everybody looks forward to the weekend, of course, um, but I also look forward to going to work and, and looking at the weather and talking about the weather and, and talking to my coworkers about the weather and communicating with the rest of the office staff about how the weather might impact our newscasts and what we might need to do in future newscasts, that sort of thing. So I, I get a kick out of all of it. And what are what are some of your goals over the next kind of, I mean, right now we're in a pandemic. We don't know no. when we're going to be getting out of it. It could be people were saying, people were saying November 4th, which was the election a month ago. Now, I mean, we're looking at spring of 2021, maybe farther down the road. What are you kind of looking at as kind of some of your goals moving forward? It could be a year, a couple years down the road that you look forward to to try to do. I would, I would like it once we're behind, once COVID is behind us, I would like to, for our weather staff to have a little more community outreach and really um, increase our network of weather spotters. We have kind of a small network now of people that we can rely on to, to tell us what's going on. We know these people are into the weather. They're not, uh, ill-educated about it. They, they can differentiate between a wall cloud and a scud cloud and that sort of thing. Uh, some of them take some really amazing pictures and send them to us. We have that network, but I'd really like to expand it. You know, we, we live in, in our area. We don't live in Chicago or New York, so there's going to be a limit to the amount of people you can get to do this sort of thing. Um, but I would really like to expand it. And once we're, we get COVID behind us, really start more of a, an in-person uh kind of regimen in which a few times a year, maybe we meet up with a group of weather spotters in our area and go out to lunch and just shoot the bull about the weather for a little while. And, and that sort of thing. I would really like to, to get something like that going uh, again. It's going to be a little, a lot easier once we have COVID behind us, but I would really like to, to build our, our network. There's only so much we can do from our windowless office in downtown Youngstown in severe weather. You know, we've got, we've got Twitter, we've got Facebook, we've got, the internet and things like that. But ground truth is so important 
hearing from people who are on the ground and witnessing what they're looking at in the sky when I'm in a windowless office, that's invaluable stuff. Well, and, and I know that, and I've watched some of your guys' new cast and, and a variety of other ones, is um, that we look at that you guys have a lot of live cameras, mm-hmm. depending on where, where they are. I just have to. Do you have one of those in your backyard with the with the temperature and everything? You got to have one of those. I don't have a camera, but I have three weather stations, three personal weather stations. One is just an old school rain gauge that just measures the rain. The other two measure rain, wind, the barometer. Uh, they have rain gauges, temperature, dew point, etc. Uh, so I have my gizmos. That is for sure. And what's nice about uh, modern gizmos is that data or those weather stations are connected to Wi-Fi. And so that data can be uploaded to the internet. And some of that data we have access to in our weather graphics that you see me show on TV. So like when I show a temperature map of local temperatures on TV, some of those numbers are from people's weather gizmos in their backyard, which is really cool. That seems because you can pinpoint like if it's Girard, Ohio or, or up in Bezetta and someone that you can get a, almost an accurate temperature reading or how much snow you've gotten. Yeah. And you know, the only official uh, weather measurement uh, site in our area uh, used by the national weather service is at the Youngstown Warren airport in Vienna. That's the only thing we have. And without these kind of more personal, even, even if they're kind of unofficial readings without those readings, what's going on in Vienna in Trumbull County is not really representative a lot of times of, what, of what's going on in East Liverpool or Grove City or Hanoverton or any number of places. And so we have to supplement that official data that's just at one site with some of these, albeit unofficial, other readings. Um, I live in Columbiana County and I can tell you that the weather down here some days does not resemble at all what's going on in Northern Trumbull County. So it's nice to have more data. More data is a good thing. Well, that's like in the weird. I was watching a Browns football game the other day, and it was snowy and windy, and we got no rain, no nothing. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, different. It, the, the the Browns in particular have had three straight home games now, in which the weather's been a pretty big factor. Uh, so it can it can be very changeable. And you know, Cleveland's just an hour trip uh, on the turnpike, and some sometimes it can it can be a completely different world. Even yesterday. While it was pouring rain during the Browns game, that was when we had our dry interval around here. Now, we got our rain later in the afternoon, but it was bone dry around here for most of the Browns game yesterday. Well, hey, we won. We're 7-3. and three. I'll take That's it. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and, and we talk about kind of what you've done. And what is kind of like, I would say, a, a wish of yours? Who would you want to kind of just interview in the Weather Center? to just feel like, Hey, get kind of giddy and be like, Hey, I want to interview this person for the weather. I would really enjoy interviewing Jim Cantori of the weather channel. He's one of the biggest names in TV weather. Of course, my meteorological hero, uh, unfortunately is no longer with us. That was Dick Goddard uh, up in Cleveland at uh, Fox eight. I grew up watching Very him. there a long time, long time for forever, 50 plus years. And, and Dick Goddard is, is one of the chief reasons why anybody who's from Northeast Ohio, who ends up as a meteorologist, uh, if if you don't cite Dick Goddard as an influence, then I'm not sure what's what's going on with you. We we all have been influenced greatly by Dick Goddard. He and I happen to share a birthday, which I always thought was the coolest thing. So I missed my chance uh, to interview him. I got to meet him a couple of times, but I, I would like to go back in time and interview Dick Goddard and hear some war stories about 
uh, big storms that he's covered, uh, especially up in the Cleveland area. But yeah, Jim Cantori at the Weather Channel has a, a huge, huge uh, range of experience with uh, not only just being in the studio and doing regular TV weather, but of course, we've all seen Jim Cantori out in hurricanes and snowstorms and that sort of thing. So I just like to pick his brain and get some sage advice for him on not only forecasting, but uh, communicating the weather, making sure that our our product is usable to most people. We can we can throw out all the fancy meteorological jargon in the world and show how smart we are, but if people don't know what to do with that information, it's not all that useful. So we, we always could use some help in that respect. And so uh, someone who's been doing this a lot longer than me, uh, I'm sure could have some great things to uh, tell me. Well, let me ask you this question. If someone wanted to get in to be a meteorologist, to really do what you do, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, if you're in high school and thinking about college, um, just be aware of what you have in front of you. And to earn a degree in meteorology and then practice in the field of meteorology, you've got to be good at math. Now, I was average at math. I've skated through okay, but it was not easy. You got to take a lot of math. The atmosphere is governed by math. The atmosphere is a fluid, just like water is a fluid. It's an invisible fluid. It's uh, not something that we drown in, but it's a fluid and it behaves a certain way. And that behavior is governed by math. And so you got to learn all about that. Um, just be aware that math is going to be something you're going to have to be comfortable with. Um, and also because things have changed a lot in the last 25 years, when I was in college, you could just go and get a bachelor's degree in meteorology. And if your grades are good enough and you'll, you're employable enough, you could probably find a job somewhere. Now you kind of really need to diversify and make yourself stand out because a lot more people are going to school for this than did 30 years ago. Um, there's a lot more meteorology majors out there and the number of jobs open for those people hasn't gone up exponentially. There's probably on average more jobs than there used to be, but it's not a field that's grown like crazy like some other fields. So you've got to diversify your skill sets, learn how to, to code, be comfortable with every bit of technology you can you can get your hands on. Um, and you also have to be a good communicator, even if you're not like me and on TV, even if, even if you've, you never step in front of the camera in your life as a meteorologist, you've still got to be good at communicating the weather. Maybe it's in written form. Maybe it's in a verbal briefing to a client over the phone. That's a lot of the stuff I did to AccuWeather. I talked to clients on the phone and you've got to you've got to be good at at communicating technical information in a way that people can understand. Not everybody has that skill. Some people are really good communicators, but they communicate stuff that isn't scientific in nature. You've got to be good at taking scientific data and communicating it to a non-scientific audience. So I would say to someone who might be in ninth grade who's thinking, well, maybe in a few years I'll graduate and and go be a meteorologist and be on the Weather Channel. Um, those are things you got to keep in mind. Keep in mind the math and, and, and assess your communication skills and, and how good they are now and how good they might be with a little training. And it's interesting when, when you talk about that, I've seen who's been in the business like Dick would be Al Roker. Mm -hmm. And they say, let's look at your local forecast. Well, then it comes back to you guys. And it's, and it's interesting when you're looking at, he talks about what's happening in certain areas and then you come to local and they're like, Oh, it's not going to rain here. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's always, it's always interesting. The, those tosses from, from Al Roker. I, I, when I filled in on the morning show 
been five or six years since I've done that now, but it always, it always, sometimes those, those tosses from the national newscast back to the local catch us by surprise. They're usually scheduled for a certain time, but sometimes they will throw a curveball and do those early. Sometimes Al Roker who, or whoever it is will say something and you kind of like, I wish you wouldn't have said that. Um, and, and you hate to, to give a contradictory message, but sometimes you've got to be the, the messenger of truth. And if someone says something inaccurate, maybe you've got to correct the record. Um, because on average, the you know people around here are going to inherently trust what you have to say, hopefully, a little more than what Al Roker or, or someone else on the national level has to say about our little area here. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's good to know. But Eric, I appreciate you taking time. Uh, now I'm going to get to the segment I do with all of my guests. Um, we're going to do a little fun game called the five question fun. All right. Sounds good. I just made that. I just made that up, but it's a, it's it's a great title. <laughs> yeah, it is. So this, so this segment is personal or professional, either one of the answer. Okay. Best experience, personal or professional. Best experience, personal or professional. Boy, putting me on the spot on that one. <laughs> That's what I, I hey I I've done it to everyone so you're not... I'm gonna go personal on this because it's the first thing it comes to mind because it's happened this year um, I proposed to my girlfriend back in late August uh, we're getting married next December in 2021 and uh, that was a tremendous experience and I caught her completely by surprise and I've never seen her uh, so surprised and so happy. Uh, and that made me, of course, very happy. Um, so uh, that's that's a recent example that stands out. I'm sure I could think of other things, but that's that's the thing that jumps to mind right now. Congratulations! I just got Thank married you. about a year and a couple months ago. Oh, congratulations to you! Best accomplishment. Best accomplishment, probably overcoming my na- my my nature. I, I'm naturally an introvert. Um, if you would have told someone when I was in ninth grade, Hey, that Eric Wilhelm is going to be on TV someday. Most people would have been like, you got to be kidding me. He doesn't say a word. Um, and so to get into this career and to communicate to a mass audience, whether it be on the radio or on TV, um, and be comfortable doing that to not be nervous or anything like that. That's been a pretty big accomplishment for me, just overcoming what is my, my nature. My nature is to be pretty quiet and kind of introverted. And you can't really be that and be an effective uh, communicator uh, in the media uh, in most circumstances. There are some who can pull it off, but to uh, to, to do it uh, for as long as I have, I'm pretty pretty proud of being able to do that. Okay. Best memory. Best memory. Uh, let's see. I'll, I'll go back to personal on this one. Uh, my first uh, Browns game with my dad. Going to a Browns game with my dad at the old Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. Oh, wow. uh, I think I was 10. And it might have only been a preseason game. A meaningless game in August. But that was my first football game on any level. I'd never been to a college game at that point. And, and going to a big time sporting event like that with my dad was, was pretty cool. And then beyond that, of course, we went to a, a million Cavs and Indians Browns games and a few Ohio state games as well. But the first one was, was really nice. Okay. 
Okay. Role model. I know we talked a little bit about this, but what? who would be your role model? Could be the same person, but I just make a direct approach to this one. From a professional standpoint, uh, Dick Goddard, the late Dick Goddard, um, definitely is who I've tried to pattern a lot of my uh, a lot of my career and and everything after. From a personal standpoint, I would point to my dad uh, once again. Um, he and I have almost nothing in common when it comes to our profession and our sensibility as far as work goes. He's a blue collar guy. I'm a white collar guy, um, but uh, I, I would point to him as when it comes to the personal side of things as, as my role model. And the last hard hitting question, <laughs> if there was one person you would want to meet past or present, who would it be and why? One person past or present. I'll switch gears here and go to the, to the, the music side of things. How's that? I would like yeah. to meet, I would like to meet Bono of U2. I'm a U2 nerd. Um, now anybody who might be watching or listening to this under the age of 25 would probably roll their eyes. Um, but for, for people closer to our age, if you're into rock music, um, then maybe you wouldn't roll your eyes. Uh, I, I'm a U2 nerd. They're my favorite band and, uh, getting to meet, uh, the lead singer of U2 and just talk about music and talk about, uh, their career and different songs. That would be amazing. Now, would you get like kind of like a shock if you were to meet him or would you be like speechless? I don't think I would be speechless. I'm old enough now and and used to just talking to anyone at this point that I would be okay. Now, 20 years ago, it'd probably be a different story. But at this point, uh, my my introverted side has been worn down enough that I think I would be okay. My, my knees wouldn't buckle too much. Uh, hey, you never know. One day it may <laughs> still happen. You never know. Eric, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. You're always welcome on the show anytime in the future. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And these have been uh, fantastic questions. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. Check out any more interviews or podcasts at anthonyvspano.com. Be safe. God bless. And have a great night, everyone. Thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.